electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Leslie Picker and Mike Santoli. We're here at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl have the morning off. We are heading into an abbreviated session. That ahead, of course, the Independence Day holiday. Market closes today at 1. 1 o'clock Eastern. Bond markets, 2 o'clock Eastern. That being said, let's give you a look at futures and how we're going to set up for an open that is still at 930. We don't open any earlier. We just close earlier. Our roadmap this morning does start with Tesla and that massive delivery beat. Shares surging. Deliveries topped 466,000 for the quarter. Plus, second half expectations. The Nasdaq coming off its best first half since 1983. And the S&P logging its best quarter since Q4 2021. And Apple, Amazon, AI, and the NVIDIA boom. Tech stocks have been on a tear. But is there more room to run? Well, we're going to start with Tesla, of course, extending that rally into the second half of the year. The shares, they are up sharply. This on record second quarter deliveries that, as I just said, totaled more than 466,000 vehicles. The number exceeded street forecast. The stock had a very good first half. It seems to be off to a good second half run here, Mike Santoli. And we're very thankful that they gave us some news to discuss as well today. (laughs) Always nice, always good to have the little weekend uh, nugget that they that they throw out there every three months. Um, it's fascinating uh, as a mass psychological experiment to see how the market treats Tesla's fundamentals or just the aura of Tesla. Um, so an absolute beat on the volumes. Um, but I, I just I feel like context has to be, be brought in here. So in the first quarter, they were five to 10,000 units light relative to forecast in volumes. This quarter, they beat by 20,000. Uh, so net-net, they're up 10 or 15 versus what we thought the first, uh, the beginning of the year. 1.8 million units, that's been the expectation that still for is. this year since October when it was down from 2 million. Right. And that's what they're on the pace for. They've added 400 billion of market cap year to date wow. on that. Wow. So either it's a car company when you care about the little, like, you know, gaining of market share by cutting prices and they're, they're doing this for the long game, or it's just a magical kind of feel-good momentum AI machine along with NVIDIA trading at 40 times cash flow, EBITDA. So I, I, I find it fascinating that we're going to go up on these numbers when you're already up $400 billion year to date. And we'll ask Dan Ives about that in a little while. Yeah. They've also gone up on some of the charging news as well, oh, yes. which has been heavily debated as well. 100%. Ives definitely in the camp of this is a game changer akin to AWS. Other analysts are like, it's a it's a plus. Yeah. And not to say it's, it's a- like the wrong price for the stock. It's just funny to kind of integrate the new volume news uh, alongside how the stock has behaved. Without knowing what the yeah. actual price of those cars are. Well, for more on Tesla's quarterly deliveries, let's bring in Phil LeBeau, who has been digging in deep into this one. Hey, Phil. 
Hey, Leslie, you guys set it up perfectly. This is all about how do you look at this number? Do you look at this and say, wow, way better than even the most bullish analysts were expecting uh, just a few days ago? And when you look at the numbers, yes, 466,000 is well above the consensus of 445. And we should point out, even the most bullish analysts were at 450, 451. And as usual, the models 3 and Y were the the bulk of the deliveries, about 95% of the vehicles that they delivered in the second quarter. And as Mike pointed out, they are now about halfway towards their 2023 full-year delivery guidance of 1.8 million vehicles. I think you add up first quarter, second quarter, you get 889,000. They're going to increase production and delivery in the second half of this year. So the expectation is they're going to at least hit 1.8 million. You've heard Elon occasionally say, oh, we have an outside shot at 2 million. I've read all the analyst notes. Nobody is expecting that at this point. That, that, and we may probably hear that from Elon Musk when they report their Q2 results in a couple of weeks after the bell on July 19th is when we'll get those. And as you guys rightfully pointed out, this is all about automotive gross margins. The consensus right now is that they're going to come in at about 19.5%. But we know that there were price cuts. That's what stoked sales, especially in China, in the second quarter. And we may see more price cuts. So the question becomes... If those margins take a big hit, do you continue to push this stock higher? Clearly the bulls are right now, and that's why the stock is where it's at. But what's interesting, as you guys were talking about where the estimates are right now, go back and take a look at what their earnings estimates for the full year were back at the start of this year. They're now down substantially from where they were at the beginning of the year, and yet the stock has more than doubled. So the momentum is there once again, and in, I think it's there at least through the earnings report on the 19th. Uh, yeah, those are great points that both you and, and Mike have made in terms of that $400 billion accretion in market cap, obviously not just because of deliveries, Phil. But that said, I am curious about the Chinese market because we could be having a bit of a different conversation given a lot of concerns there about increased competition, not to mention a weak Chinese consumer. Yep. What do we know specific to these numbers in terms of what happened in China? Well, we don't, they don't break them out by region, right. but you can extrapolate when you take a look at, at all the numbers. And they clearly have been able to hold their own in terms of deliveries relative to the first quarter. But they had to cut the prices, David, in order for that to take place. There's brutal price competition going on in China right now. I mean, I think it was Volkswagen who indicated that they were going to be falling short of their initial expectations when it comes to China. Uh, that's what we're seeing from a number of automakers. And you just saw these numbers come out from BYD in terms of the growth that it's seeing in China. I think that this continues for the second half of this year. There are more than a few analysts out, and I know you're going to talk with Dan Ives in a little bit, who believe that we've probably seen the worst of the price cutting and the price competition in China. I've talked with others who believe this is going to continue here for a while, that this is not over, that the Chinese, uh, what they want their automakers to do well, especially when it comes to electric vehicles, and that they will continue to incentivize them, and that ultimately is going to push prices down in that market. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, uh, with uh, everything we need to know, or a lot of what we need to about Tesla, which we'll <laughs> continue to discuss. But let's move on to the markets now. Of course, this is the beginning of the second half of 2023. It's the time now when we really start to talk about earnings for 2024. The Nasdaq posting its strongest first half in four decades. It was up more than 31 percent. The S&P, not bad either, gained almost 16 percent. They have the Dow written here, I'll let you know, but I don't even talk <laughs> about the Dow, as everybody else knows. Statistically meaningless index. So, uh, 
Mike, give me your take on the second half, given yeah. that first half. What we know from history is just, you know, straight up, you know, pattern recognition when you're up. 10, 15 percent in the first half of the year. There's more often been follow through to the upside in the second half than there has been a give back, um, especially if you look at the last, you know, let's say 30 years of history. Now, it doesn't mean that you go up at the same rate. doesn't mean you don't have corrections along the way. So that's just the basic, you know, if all we knew was that we were up 15, 16 percent in the first half of the year, you'd say, well, you know, markets that are up tend to continue higher. I do think that there's been uh, some constructive action in the last few weeks where the bull market's starting to act a little more like it. It's a little broader. The pullbacks have been short and shallow. You haven't really let a lot of people in at big discounts. That being said, you, know, you mentioned uh, the attention turns to 2024 earnings, and uh, they're kind of nudging down again a little bit. Not much, but they're kind of bumping along. So there was this bull case that said Fed is done, economy stronger than expected given what's already been done in terms of interest rates and earnings perhaps have troughed and are going to nudge higher from here. And so you still have wait and see on all those fronts, I think, because you have folks out there saying uh, either, look, we have to have this recognition that the Fed is going to look at the economy, nominal growth, wage growth, where they are, and they're going to have to do even more. Look at Treasury yields. They're starting to get people's attention again. 385 on the 10-year, pushing against 5% again on the two-year. And we priced out any potential for rate cuts, really, for the rest of this year. So markets taking all that in pretty well. I just wonder if we're at a point now when, you know, six months ago, people assumed imminent recession. Now, I think sturdy, resilient economy is the base case. So where's the direction of surprise from there? I mean, it's pretty remarkable when you look at just the, the year-to-date performance. This is a first half that saw a regional banking crisis. I mean, exactly. that, that was very scary at the time. It also saw a pretty narrow... Uh, leadership with about, what is it, $5 trillion in tech valuation created thanks just to this overall hype of, of AI. And so I guess the question, Mike, is, you know, is it risky to chase the rally from here, given just the, the overall uncertainty, liquidity, not as not yeah. as strong as in prior years? In, I think in the very short term, if I were just looking at the stuff that's worked the best this year, it seems like it is, you would have to just be betting on mostly pure momentum and the fact that people seem not to own enough of the biggest stocks in the index. So it's kind of more of a, uh, you know, kind of a game theory uh, momentum play as opposed to we know something the market doesn't know on this. Um, but as I say, you know, we, we, we are not back to we were a year and a half ago in the overall S&P. The economy's bigger, earnings are higher. Um, the Fed's got no, very few hikes ahead of it most likely, and it had five percentage points of hikes ahead of it a year and a half ago, right? So you can kind of spin that and say, we've been through a fair amount, or at least we're in this window where, you know, the, both the economy and the Fed are in these kind of digestible spots and, and the market can, uh, can hang in from here. You know, Leslie, you mentioned the regional banking crisis, which of course at the time seemed and was quite serious. We seem to have moved on in, in a way. At the same time, that memory of that $42 billion that left in deposits from SVB in four days has yeah. got to be longer than that. And I do wonder whether there's still a thought in the banking industry that we may revisit some of these crisis moments or, you know, or not. Well, you bring up a great point because nothing has necessarily changed that would prevent something like that from happening. It's not like you have, you know, lockups on deposits that prevent them from, from flying out. It's not like there are are any changes to social media that would prevent some sort of bank run from occurring in the future. And yes, a lot of the regional banks are still sitting on these paper losses. Um, and, and that's okay until you have a deposit run, essentially, you know, depending on the risk profile of each individual bank. But, you know, if you look at $42 billion of deposits 
flying out that quickly. Um, you know, it's hard to make a case that any bank could survive that, regardless of what its balance sheet looked like. Yeah, and we're certain to have that continued conversation about commercial real estate now in the second half of this year, mm -hmm. and some of the write downs that may be associated with certain restructuring that needs to take place here or there. But I guess the question continues to be. Will that have an impact on depositor psychology in some way? Yeah, and depositor psychology is actually kind of circular. It can be with the market. So you saw that take place a little bit in May, um, where you saw some of the regionals, especially the West Coast-based ones, uh, their stock prices declining significantly, and then they suffered some deposit withdrawals as a result of that. Um, but we also are expecting some interesting regulatory actions to take place. We're waiting on the rules, the finalized rules for Basel III. Um, that's expected in the next three weeks or so, and that could require higher capital levels uh, for banks, which would, of course, impact margins. We saw the redistribution plans uh, take place on Friday. Some are still trickling out this morning as well. Um, and then we're expecting, you know, some some rules potentially from Fed, uh, from the Fed, from potentially Vice Chair Michael Barr, which would kind of hit it, correcting some of the mistakes that they found from March in terms of capitalization in terms of uh, liquidity and things of that nature. So a lot of uncertainty on the regulatory front, and I think it's really difficult, at least for bank investors, to, to find a bid with all of that looming regulatory uncertainty that's out there. And finally, uh, Mike, um, first half, I mean, we talked all about mega cap tech, but yeah. the top three winners in the S&P we're all cruise lines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, the cruise lines are uh, kind of the whip end of, hey, the services economy is is uh, is working pretty well and going hot and relatively small market caps uh, that did have a sell-off late last year. So I do think uh, you've had these high-velocity moves in parts of the consumer area that have continued to, to do very well. Um, so it is within consumer discretionary. It's travel-related and housing-related. You know, you, people couldn't own enough. The rest of it is wait and see. And um, I, I do think that th that's the interesting call right now. Is the banks get, get brought along or are they just going to be the problem child for this market for a while? It's been remarkable. Banks is a group down 20% year to date, S&P up 15, 16. There was a time you wouldn't have thought that was possible yeah. because of the kind of bellwether status that bank stocks always had. And also, of course, they used to be a bigger part of the uh, the index itself. Well, there's also, also the rates dynamic, too. I mean, yeah. if... if Someone had said to me as a, an MBA student, hey, you know, when rates go up, yeah. housing stocks are going to go up and, you know, people are going to be traveling more. And banks more, are going to suffer. Yeah. And banks yeah. are going to suffer. <laughs> right. I would have been like, uh, uh. No, that's exactly right. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I do like to point out, though, that banks have not particularly been a bellwether for the stock market in a long time. The KBW Banks Index, which is, you know, it's a very long dated thing, uh, trades basically at the same level it did in 1998. Wow. I mean, of course, that was the implosion of value in the global financial crisis, but it shows you you didn't need him to take the market higher. No. JPM, not at an all-time high, certainly, but it is at a, right at a 52-week high, we should point out. That is JP Morgan Chase. All right, riding the uh, mega-cap tech rally into the second half will be our next subject. Wedbush's Dan Ives is going to join us to discuss that. Take a look at futures. We've got a lot more squawk in the street straight ahead for you. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to uh, Squawk on the Street. Tech stocks closing out what was the best first half they've had in 40 years, at least broadly speaking. We're talking about the Nasdaq here. This morning, Tesla shares up yet again. This on second quarter deliveries. Our next guest says, quote, this will send the bears into hibernation mode. As for $3 trillion Apple, that is the market cap of that company, he says the company's playing chess while others are playing checkers. Let's bring in Dan Ives, of course, of Wedbush Securities, a frequent guest for that seat right there. Love the green pants. Thank you. I'm um, sorry we can't get those fully on camera. But let's start off with what you've been talking about. You've been very bullish on Tesla. You've been right, Dan. What do you make of the deliveries? I think this was really, it was a jaw dropper relative to many expecting softness. I think th those price cuts, that was the poker move that they really needed to make to put an iron fence around their install base. China, I think that's really ultimately the catalyst. And this for the bulls, I think this is really an inflection point. It feels like right now they're just getting stronger. And in terms of electric vehicles, it's Tesla's world, everyone else paying rent. But you know, the point Mike and Phil both made is we're still really at 1.8 million for the year, which is where we started. Estimates for the company have actually come down. So has this actually been the reason the stock has added or the company's added $400 billion in market cap? And if not, what then? And is it justified? Yeah, and obviously great points that they make. But I think what this has really been, it's about the AWS moment, the supercharger. That, that's really what changed everything. In terms, I think investors now are starting to realize the sum of the parts of this story is starting to get realized. And even though the next quarter or two, margins will trough out in terms of, you know, I think ultimately expand the Q4 in, in next year. But the supercharger, batteries, and of course, AI. I think right now, not given credit from an AI perspective, which is why now you can maybe start to rationalize, is this a trillion and a half or higher? as this all plays out in terms of the Tesla story. Well, I mean, I guess we should mention it did trade at 1.2 trillion once. It went from 1.2 to 400 billion. So it lost 800 billion. It's regained half of it, essentially, over the last couple of years. But again, I, I keep coming back to this idea. It's, if it is this huge open-ended, you know, AI play, they're going to be the, the, the mobility utility for the world and it's a software company, great. 
why should I care about $10,000 upside for units in a quarter? If that's the context, then why are we trading 6% higher on the, a roughly as expected number? And you say bears should be going to hibernation. I don't think they are. Bernstein here, uh, $150 price target. We struggle to justify the rally in fundamental terms. The, che- the clearest sentiment catalysts have been market perception of Tesla as an AI company, as well as Tesla's charging standard becoming a de facto standard in North America. Neither appear financially material to Tesla. Look, for the bears, I mean, they hate it at 20 billion, 50 billion, 100 billion, and, and where it is today. They're, they're always going to have that view. My view is this is just a transformational growth company. They obviously went through issues in terms of the price war, but now that ultimately that whole they're playing chess, others are playing checkers, it's paid off. Margins are troughing, and investors now are starting to realize that dream scenario as they get through to 2 million units to three, Cybertruck comes out way of this year, and then that's some of the parts. That's why right now this is just another flex the muscles moment for the bulls, but the bears, they'll continue to yell fire in a crowded theater. But in, in, to Mike's point, when does that actually trickle down to the fundamentals? Because if you use kind of that AWS example, you know, perhaps when you can really monetize the supercharger, the AI and all of that, you can keep those prices low and keep volume churning. Is that ultimately kind of what your calculus is? And, and if so, when do they get there? And it's a great question. I think the other thing is that from a battery perspective, they now could potentially lower costs over the coming years, 30 to 50%. You start to factor that through. That's where ultimately, then there's the drum roll to a sub $30,000 vehicle. That's where demand really starts to expand. And this green tidal wave, this $5 trillion green tidal wave that we call that's playing out, it's not just zero-sum game. GM, Ford, others, Rivian, 313 area code is going to be successful doing it. Biggest transformation to the auto industry since 1950s. But this was the quarter the bears were saying, this is it. They're going to miss the quarter. And ultimately, they go into you know July 4th with fireworks, as I believe this was an inflection quarter. That said, when it comes to AI and full self-driving, you know, they promised for years it was coming, 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 and we're always still waiting. I do wonder whether there's going to be a fake out yet again for some investors here that may be disappointing. Sure, and I think ever since the the interview heard around the world, the Faber-Musk interview, I think that really changed a lot of people's perception in terms of Musk showing what the strategy was, where this is all heading. And from an AI perspective, when it comes to FSD, I think that's really the holy grail. But for now, in terms of the valuation, that's not really reflected in terms of what we see. And I think ultimately, <laughs> these drum rolls just show we are in the drum roll <laughs> to what I view as the next stage of the Tesla story. Well done, Dan. That was great. In the moment. You got a real future in broadcasting. <laughs> All right, we got to uh, take a break. Of course, you hear the drumming going on here. Continental Army is invading. <laughs> We'll be right back. We've got an opening bell about seven minutes away. Stay with us. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. 
Welcome back. A moment ago, we showed you Rivian leading the uh, NASDAQ uh, uh, leaders for this morning. Um, and I wondered, was there some vehicle numbers out? There are. Uh, and so let's give them to you. The company produced 13,992 vehicles uh, in normal Illinois, delivered 12,640 during the period, and believes it's on track to deliver on the 50,000 annual production guidance that it previously provided. That is why you see the stock up uh, nicely this morning. Uh, won't announce or won't, we won't have earnings the same way with Tesla's Tesla's later in July. We won't have earnings from this company till August 8th. So we've got a bit of a lag there. Uh, yeah. Clearly, uh, to your point, Mike, a lot of interest in these stocks today. I mean, yeah, and BYD also beat on volumes as well. So it seemed that it was a good quarter in general for uh, for EV sales globally. Everybody riding that, and the stocks are reflecting it so far. Yeah, well, the various goals that are out there in terms of decarbonizing, we're going to get that to get to a share of the overall auto market being EVs very quickly. Uh, we are seeing most of the signs of progress. There's the opening bell, real time exchange back at our headquarters, of course, as well. Perhaps giving futures maybe a little bit more red on that board. Over here at the big board, we got the Museum of the American Revolution celebrating Independence Day. Over at the NASDAQ, Vets Indexes, that tracks the performance of companies deemed as the best employers for veterans. That's cool. When we're in commercial break, they were quiet, but <laughs> now they were now back. It's, now it's the Fife, I guess, yeah. is what we call that. Very nice. Very nice. Um, as we kind of see how things are uh, are getting together here. Again, the leaders, Mike, are all the EV players. Yeah. It does appear to the point you just made that there seems to be uh, some sales growth. Yep, we got the incentives out in the market. Uh, people are focused on it. And, you know, people have been waiting for that moment where it becomes, um, you know, that much more mainstream to the point of being a default choice for, uh, for folks and, um, you know, still... Kind of, uh, kind of riding that trend. Of course, Nvidia is also participating uh, to the upside because it seems to be the uh, the kind of all-purpose up three quarters of a of a percent after going up nearly 200 percent in the uh, in the first half of this year. Uh, would make all kinds of sense for the market to uh, to take a breather in general here after the sprint we got into the close of the second quarter. Although, uh, as many have pointed out, July has been strong in recent years, especially the first half. So if we care about the, the sort of seasonal effects around the holiday and then into the middle of this month, usually there are more tailwinds than not. Yeah, it's kind of like it feels a little bit like that Friday after Thanksgiving where, yeah. you know, you've got a little bit of a one day of action and then, you know, we go back exactly. into hibernation. Yeah, and, the mar and we should be clear, I mean, the exchange doesn't typically really resist the idea of closing four days in a row. I mean, it is a global liquidity venue. The rest of the world is up. And so you got to have that outlet as a just in case people need to do some things. Even yeah. if with muted volumes. Um, yeah. Also looking at Fidelity National today, uh, that one is higher, currently up about 5%. It was about double that in pre-market, just on some uh, reports from EFT that its world pay division mm -hmm. uh, could be up for sale with some private equity interest, about $15 billion dollars for that one, which is representative yeah. about half of their market cap. So yeah, that'd sizable. be a big number for private equity, uh, big equity check, you'd have to imagine. Oh, yeah. Maybe requiring a number of them to come play together. Some of the LPs still frown on those club deals because, of course, you've got investors in a number of private equity funds and then they get together to buy one company. Well, it's concentrating your risk in that company as an LP if, in fact, you're invested in a number of those firms. Especially but, if those firms are also doing the, the debt financing as well. Yeah. Um, 
that said, uh, it's not unusual to see a company as they did announce, at least they were thinking about options that might have included a spin and at least checking the market to see whether there is a, a sale process that might result in a better outcome, Leslie. Payments, I mean, I guess, Mike, is, is that a, an attractive area for... As a general matter, it has been very attractive to the point where into the top of the market in the beginning of 2022, it was there were some hedge funds I know of that were mostly concentrated in the big payment plays. Now, a lot of that is Visa, MasterCard. These are long-term secular growth stocks. But yes, it, it was this idea that it's just massive addressable market. You're kind of competing against cash and checks and the network effects are great. Um, so I do think there's appetite for those types of businesses still. It's kind of getting revived. Um, but I'm not sure we're going to get to those valuations we had, uh, you know, back at the peak. But yeah, I think there is a, a tailwind there. And by the way, in terms of the buyout stuff, did you guys see the journal piece about banks kind of yeah. freeing up some of the pipeline for leveraged loans by selling uh, into the secondary market some of the buyout debt? Yeah, yeah this is the, the hung debt, which was a huge issue. Uh, of course, there is one uh, buyout that's still providing somewhat of an issue, which is Twitter. Yeah. I think about $13 billion still in the books from Morgan Stanley and others with that and many, one. Many other banks. Of course, Morgan Stanley quickly tell you, many other banks, many not other just banks, us. Not just us. They just let it. Um, but, but that $13 billion has not been sold down, I, I don't believe. I don't believe it has. No. Uh, but others like Citrix was sold down, yep. which is important for them. Uh, on the flip side of that, just on the flip side of the private equity conversation, did you see the pitch book statistic this morning that about $360 billion is essentially, I mean, trapped, I don't want to use that word, but uh, stuck inside private equity firms because the IPO market pretty much remains shut. Uh, no willing buyer. So they're just sitting on kind of $360 billion worth of, of portfolio companies that yep, they can't That they can't monetize, yeah. which, of course, you want to return capital. That's the whole idea of having the fund. And within five, seven, maybe longer you want to ret- years, you want to return that. Vista's had some success lately in getting some deals done. For, they have. Yeah. Um, doing that large deal la- last week with... Uh, was at Aptio with IBM. Yep. But you're right. Others, of course, if you're looking particularly at the private, the public markets, excuse me, for your exit, it's been very difficult. Although we did have some IPOs last week and we did start to see at least some nudging of that window higher. They just performed kind of mixed. Yeah. You know, you had Savers Value, which performed higher. Uh, but the other two, they, they priced below the range and then traded down. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're a mutual fund looking to get in this space and you invested in one of those that didn't perform so well, you're kind of underwater. Unclear what your appetite will be to buy more IPOs. That said, if you invested in Kava, you're probably still sitting very much in the black, and so you you may have more appetite to do more deals. Yeah, Kava, um, Kava is up from its opening trade, I believe, still. Mike. I think Not it is. to mention, yeah. obviously, if you're able, well, just around. That's yeah, right around where roughly. it was. Yeah. yeah, that's right around where price it opened. Price at 22. Price at 22, but yeah. almost a double on the open. Pretty typical IPO pattern when you get a pop is you've got to have that digest a little bit and, uh, and and refresh the demand, so to speak, with uh, slightly lower prices. I um, was going to mention uh, regional banks among the leaders of the S&P this morning. Huh. So getting a little bit of a lift, you have Zions, Comerica, Truist, Key Corp. Uh, in the top 10 of, uh, of performers, people kind of, I guess, uh, trying to sort through, you know, some of the announcements in terms of uh, buyback and, uh, and dividends and, and also in general, this idea of reaching for some of the laggard areas of the market uh, that had not participated. So I know there's so much focus on that KRE ETF and whether it's going to break certain levels and what does it mean for the broader market. So a little bit of relief uh, as we get the market rotating out of some tech into uh, into the laggards. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting to see somewhat of a lift for the truists of the world and the citizens of the world this morning because they didn't make any 
uh, material changes right. to their their capital return plans when they announced kind of the results of the Fed stress tests on Friday after the close. But the market probably just deciding that it wasn't going to, no matter what, just given all the regulatory uncertainty that we were talking about sure. earlier in the hour. Um, did want to mention something we haven't gotten to yet, which is uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen is going to be traveling to Beijing uh, on Thursday. It's going to be a four-day visit. She will be seeing senior gov- government officials, including uh, people she doesn't or has not known. Uh, uh, so some new relationships to sort of make there. Discussions are going to be about global economic and financial issues. And, of course, we'll, you'd imagine as well, focus on sort of trying to relieve tensions between the top uh, economies in the world so they can, quote, responsibly manage their relationship and communicate directly. I would note uh, shares of BABA, JD are both up, sort of a, kind of a go-to trade, I guess, if you think that there's a chance that, ten- that, uh, that relations are going to thaw a bit, Mike. Yeah, and, you know, the signaling is pretty clear that you send this kind of succession of, of cabinet secretaries to, to China to try to make sure that it doesn't sort of devolve into uh, further out, outright hostilities. It seems much more in the way of atmospherics than anything that they're negotiating necessarily. But uh, I guess on the general notion of let's not, you know, kind of retreat into our corners and, uh, and let the deglobalization story, you know, get more momentum than it already has. Yeah. Uh, of course, the U.S. government has uh, prevented the use of high-end chips or trying to prevent their exports to, to China, namely NVIDIA's chips. China has responded by preventing Micron uh, from doing certain things in the country as well, although Micron has continued to make investments. But, of course, uh, it's a significant percentage of Micron sales. We did hear from the company last week in terms of its earnings. You can see, though, that stock has had a, had a decent run uh, of late, along with uh, you can see many of the others that are also in positive territory. Of course, NVIDIA shares also up uh, now 192.3% for the year, well above the trillion-dollar level, Mike. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it's almost it's really benefiting from uh, what's otherwise a scarcity of obvious, pure, seemingly reliable you know plays on the AI investment binge. I'll uh, see how long that lasts. I Me, mean, I do see some of the winners, uh, you know, having a little bit of a retreat, such as Apple. Uh, oh, it's only down about a third of a percent, coming off a 52-week high, coming off that three trillion dollar market cap close. Uh, reports out of the FT about some. Uh, maybe slow down in orders for the Vision Pro headset mm-hmm. based on some manufacturing um, complexity or issues. Hard to think that that, that those orders and the, the revenues associated with them were a big part of anybody's investment thesis for this year right. for Apple. But it is, uh, you know, just one little item out there to suggest that uh, maybe not smooth sailing on the new product. It was seen as a growth engine, you know. Way down the road, I Absolutely. think. Um, but you know, and in terms probably of the current be, but yeah. present value, maybe maybe less important. Um, you know, but kind of as we look at what's going on with Tesla as a barometer for just the current psychology in the market right now. Um, you know, we're kind of back to that that mindset of do we do we care as much about margins as we do about just you know churning product and, and getting growth. it out there yeah. and pure growth and you know doesn't matter what the bottom lines look like as long as we are. are moving product and don't have this build up in inventory and there's the demand out there and we're getting yeah. all that, um, you know, excitement and momentum in the market. But it seems like that's limited to a very select group of yes. these mega ta- cap tech stocks. It's not true on the small cap side. It's by the by the rumor, by the news and then buy more after the news is, is already out there. Um, you're right, though. Um, it is those those big 
uh, kind of story stocks with a perceived open-ended, we're going to change the world, retail following. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's working. And as I mentioned, you know, um, Tesla is only halfway back from the low. Uh, reached at the end of last year to it from its all-time high. So who knows? There's a lot of room to play in here, and we've already been on this ground before. You know, speaking of Tesla, of course, which we spent a lot of the morning discussing, you can see the stock now up almost 7%. Uh, this fight, this cage match between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk is progressing. Um, as hard as it seems to imagine, the two of them getting in, the cage and fighting each other is a New York Times story from this morning. I can confirm much of what's in there, although um, from what I understand, this could take place. Originally, they were thinking the fall, but I've heard it could be as soon as late August. Wouldn't give Mr. Musk that much time to, train. to prepare to train. and train. In contrast, of course, to Mr. Zuckerberg, who has uh, been training for years and uh, becoming expert in uh, jiu-jitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Brazilian yes. jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So a lot of grappling, so things of that nature. Progressing, you mean they're, like, they're, it's going to happen. It, it feels like it's going to happen, as hard as it is to imagine. And as much as you might imagine, I think that their boards and others, Mr. Musk's mother, <laughs> yeah. are saying, don't do this. Please don't do this. Um, and you, you can see why they shouldn't do it. I can't see why they would. I guess they really don't like each other. Uh, there may be a charity component for it. It conceivably will be one of the biggest pay-per-view events of all time. Right. I mean, if it actually happens in the Coliseum, as Elon seems to want it to, to where it to take place, and I believe made calls to the prime minister to make sure that that could happen. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, this thing could actually happen. Um, as much as you may think it's not a good idea for either one of them, if they're doing it, I want to be there. It's I was going to say, I hope yeah. it, for our sake, it's not pay-per-view, that it's just I think it's going to be oh, pay-per-view. Yeah. I think that's the <laughs> yeah. idea. I think that it could be a billion-dollar pay-per-view. I mean, it's who knows? That's a guess. Um, but you see but I had the same thought, though, about, I mean, Meta's board in particular, you might say, you know, what, what are the, what are the, the risk-reward here? Um, you know, right. even, I mean, remember there were those reports, and he has denied them that in about... Uh, that he engaged in, that he may have been unconscious briefly. Um, that's Musk. That's no, that's Zuckerberg. Oh, Zuckerberg, because Musk because he has back had, with a sumo wrestler. He has had bouts in jujitsu, right? And and he's denied it that that, that he, in fact oh, that, that he was you know briefly unconscious. But the point is, you're taking pretty significant physical risk. Yeah, you are. And, you know, and you're not insignificant people in terms of right. the leadership of your companies. In fact, you're two of the most important leaders in technology. Obviously, as I say many times, Musk is the most consequential businessman on the planet. Are we going to get in there? And, like, and he's not in great shape. And he hasn't trained. I, I know he's know. a lot bigger than Mark. He's bigger. But that is true. And, and what are the rules? I mean, is it going to be of a, of a particular discipline or is it just going to be like a free-for-all? It's, it's going to be a UFC. It's UFC not rules. sanctioned, but yeah. it's UFC rules. Yeah. I don't know. just feels like there's a lot of downside there. But Zuckerberg, I mean, you, you mentioned the board. He has a majority voting power yeah, here. He can I mean, tell his board I'm doing this, as he, and Elon tells his board we're you know, the it's, same. It's his company. Nobody's going to stop Elon from doing what he wants. Same with Elon. Ever. Exactly. Um, wow. All right. Listen, the guys are going to do it. I'm going to Italy, man. I want to be there. Watch that. Um, <laughs> finally, a quick pivot here. Quickly, we'll do it in 40 seconds or so because we have data. 
Oh, okay. I'll take my time, says Chip. AstraZeneca, <laughs> uh, I did want to mention that. The stock had been down. I don't know if, uh, if we have it right now. Um, High-level results for a lung cancer drug. It did show that it slowed progression in a late-stage trial, but here's the language from the company. Statistically significant improvement for the dual primary endpoint of progression-free survival compared to the uh, standard care of chemotherapy. That said, for the dual primary endpoint of overall survival, the data were not mature and an early trend was observed uh, that did not meet the pre-specified threshold for statistical significance at the interim analysis. So that means it didn't quite go as well as they had hoped, and that's why the stock is down. For the long term. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, you know, we've, we've had something of a revolution of late in terms of treatment of cancer, and it continues. It's, um, and we've seen it, and obviously Mike and, and Leslie, we've seen a lot of the big companies acquire the smaller biotech, so-called smaller, that get through that phase two as they approach phase three, in part because of the advances these smaller companies are able to make, but then when it gets to the actual ability to sell the product, to market the product, typically you will see big pharma willing to pay huge, huge premiums to their market mm. price. Yeah. It's like a $15 billion drop in market cap on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, these are huge companies, yeah. as we should point out as well. All right, S&P's up 0.0%. Uh, there it is. But I like your optimism that it's up 0.0%. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. It's not there. You but you're see, right. I it got is it right. green I got because right. you've got to go out three decimal places there you go. to see what it was. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, and we'll also, yeah, we'll get to U.S. manufacturing data as well. Stay with us. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Oil erasing earlier gains despite top exporters Saudi Arabia and Russia announcing supply cuts for August. Our next guest says energy is poised for a second half comeback after being the worst performing S&P sector in the first half. Tortoise uh, Senior Portfolio Manager Rob Thummel joins us now. Rob, thanks for being here. Um, just want to get to you on the news. Do you think these efforts to boost prices will be successful here? Yeah, I do, Leslie. I, I think if you look at what Saudi Arabia is trying to do, they're trying, and, and OPEC in general, um, they're trying to create an undersupplied oil market. And that's really what's going to happen in the second half of the year. You had an oversupplied oil market the first half of the year. That led to lower oil prices. Likely have an undersupplied oil market in the second half of the year with significant declines in inventory. And so ultimately, historically, that has meant when you see inventories decline, that means prices, uh, oil prices typically rise. And so that's, that'll be a catalyst for the energy sector um, really over the next six months. The, the market doesn't seem to think so, though. Uh, crude, we're showing a picture right now, down half a percent today. Uh, you know, what's the lag for something like this actually working its way through to the market? Yeah, I think the market's trying to figure out, you know, is the oil price signaling uh, a looming recession? Uh, basically, will demand not be there? So we, the, the supply part of the equation, I think, is, is, is pretty clear. You're going to see less supply. Uh, also, you're also going to see less supply in the U.S., by the way. That's, not a lot of people are paying attention to the lower rig count, but uh, that's going to reduce the supply in the U.S. as well. But the demand, that's the question, right? And so so what will happen there? Uh, it really looks like, you know, the U.S. economy, the consumer seems to still be strong. Uh, travel uh, seems to be pretty robust. Chinese mobility seems to be returning. Um, industrial activity is likely to come back. So all of that really really means more energy, probably more inter- U.S. energy and, and more low-cost energy. So I think I think this just has to play out. The market has to see that demand uh, come, that undersupplied uh, oil market really exists, inventories fall, and then there'll, there'll be a price response. 
Uh, Rob, there's been this uh, line out there that uh, I think makes some sense that the oil industry in general can can make its peace with prices at at current levels. I mean, what parts of the sector do you think uh, are well positioned if even if we stay range bound in terms of the commodity prices? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. And, and so, uh, yeah, Tortoise, really, we really like energy infrastructure at seventy dollars, eighty dollars, even sixty dollars, uh, for for this reason. Uh, it, it really, the energy infrastructure sector, in particular the subsector, uh, performs well when oil prices are, are steady, when they're not volatile, because that's consumer demand remains pretty high, and, and frankly, lower oil prices typically boost consumer demand, and so that that's good for energy infrastructure companies like pipelines, right? That. So they generate all these pipeline companies generate a lot of excess free cash flow. They're returning that free cash flow to the shareholders in the form of high dividends. You get seven, eight, nine percent dividend yields from these companies. In addition, they have excess cash flow to buy back stock as well. So from an energy subsector perspective, we think that that's a great place to be. And if you look back, even at the first half of the year, energy infrastructure actually was up about six or seven percent for the first half of the year, while almost every other sector in the uh, or every other subsector in the energy sector. Uh, generating negative returns for, uh, for the first half of, of 2023. Yeah, Rob, I see Chenier is your top holding in your Tortoise Energy Infrastructure Fund. Um, why do you like it? And in 2H, do you add or sell to that position? Yeah, so Chenier, we, we've owned Chenier for, for probably over a decade. It's, it's an outstanding company. Uh, what Chenier does is exports U.S. Uh, liquefied natural gas to countries around the world. Uh, a lot of people know this name. But it continues to have really all of the elements that we like for, for, for any stock, frankly. Um, it offers a critical service, so we all know how important liquefied natural gas or natural gas is, not only in the U.S., but globally as well. And, and that, that obviously has made, been made even clearer, really, in the last year uh, with the Russian invasion. But Chenier plays a really important role in supplying not only Asia, but also Europe uh, with, with liquefied natural gas. But the other, the financial side of Chenier, how the... The management team has managed the company has, has been outstanding as well. Store, they, they've reduced debt significantly, but they've also generated a lot of free cash flow. They've started to pay back, a, a, pay a little dividend, but they're holding on to a lot of free cash flow to buy back stock. Um, and they and and we and they think the stock is is cheap, and so as a result, they're buying back buying back their stock. And so we continue to like Chenier, and you'll continue to see us add to that to that security um, for a long, long time because the contract link for Chenier's a couple decades, and it's going to generate steady free cash flow for, for a long time. All right, Rob, well, we'll see. Thank you so much uh, for being here and for sharing your perspective on the energy sector, worst performing sector year to date. Appreciate it. Well, Thank coming you, up, we're going to have uh, more on how to capitalize on the markets in the second half. Keep it here. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.